Father, we just come to you today and we just, uh, again, thank you for uh, the fact that you've chosen to reveal to us all of these great truths that are contained here in the book of Revelation. And Lord, as we uh, venture into this last chapter and uh, we're given this glimpse of eternity, Lord, uh, uh, we're so privileged to, for you to show us these things uh, even before they happen, these great things that are going to be part of our lives as we, we live forever with you. And Lord, uh, that's the most important thing. The most important part of heaven is we're going to see today, and Lord, I think we already know, and that's, that's our relationship with you. It just goes on in eternity, and it gets better and better and better and better. Father, but there is a warning here in this text that uh, the lives that we're living now are, are indicators of, of uh, you know, the life we'll be living in eternity uh, in a small way. So, Lord, help us to check out our own faith today as we look at this text. Examine ourselves and make sure that, that by your blood we've been made worthy of, of eternity, uh, of this kingdom that you have for us. So, Lord, it's your kingdom and your power and your glory. And Father, I just ask that you teach us these lessons uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, guess what? We're in chapter 22 of Revelation. And if you looked ahead, there's nothing ahead. So we're in the very last book of the Bible today. And for me, that's kind of sad because... I think Revelation is really an exciting book. Uh, I love studying prophecy, and uh, there's a lot of other people that, that do too. Uh, there's been, uh, actually, prophecy studies become a multi-million dollar, maybe even a multi-billion dollar business. People sell books, they have TV shows, they have conferences. Uh, uh, people have become celebrities teaching prophecy. Uh, people have become rich teaching prophecy. So uh, it's, it's big business, and, and there's a reason for that. I actually, I, I, I know one, of the, one person who's made a lot of money on it, and, and I guess rightfully so, Hal Lindsey wrote a book, The Late Great Planet Earth, that kind of woke the church up to prophecy. It sold millions and millions and millions of copies. And, and uh, i got to tell you, I enjoy reading books like that. I enjoy studying Revelation because, because uh, it, it speaks of an age that's coming, and that we're heading to that, that uh, is going to be much different from the age in which we live in. I mean, uh, I can't wait for the day when all the wicked people on this earth are gone. But you know what I can't wait for even more? I can't wait for the day when all the wickedness in me is gone. When all my sin has been put away, when the devil is gone. Uh, when we live in the new heavens and we live on the new earth and... and uh, we live in these glorified bodies walking on the streets of glory, these streets of gold, uh, these walls of diamonds, this, these pearly gates. I mean, this, we're going to have everlasting peace and joy. There'll be no more wars, no more disease, no more death. What a day that's going to be. But as exciting as all of those things are that I just mentioned, none of them come close to being eternity's greatest reward. Eternity's greatest reward, as we're going to see in this lesson today, that honor belongs to none other than Jesus Christ himself. He's our great reward. We're going to see that. But hey, this other stuff is really good, so let's continue to look at it. Look, look at, let's begin in 22, and let's look at verse number 1. And look at what we see right away here. He says, 
and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. And where does it come from? It proceeds from the throne of God and from, and from the Lamb. And now, when we see water in the Bible, what does it always refer to? It's always symbolic of life. And so here you have, if you look at your text, you have this clear uh, crystal water, uh, which has to be symbolic of the life of God. And what's, what's, where is its source, or where does it come from? It comes from the throne of God and from the Lamb of God. That water that Jesus, uh, that's, that we see here, flowing from this throne of God is the same water that Jesus spoke of when he encountered the woman at the well. Uh, she was drawing water from a, just an ordinary well. It really wasn't an ordinary well. It was the well of Jacob, but it was nothing spiritual about that water. Remember what Jesus said to her in John chapter 4. He says, whoever drinks of this water that you're drawing will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become to, in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. Then you remember when Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles and, and he was on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is, is symbolic of the millennium. And it's the last day of the millennium. So really you could almost say it's symbolic of the time when we go into eternity. And on that last day, you remember what he said. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me to me and drink. And, and then John gave that commentary after that verse. He says, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. And that's exactly, if you jump ahead to verse 17 in Revelation 22, that's exactly the plea that we hear in verse 17. Look at the last part of that verse. He says, let him who thirsts come. I mean, the only requirement for receiving Jesus Christ is that you thirst, that you want something better than what you have now, that you thirst for the life of God. He says, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Now, I believe in heaven, there's going to be a literal river running from the throne of God. In fact, in Zechariah, we see a picture of that river. And, and I believe that we will drink from that river and that there will be spiritual properties in the water that we drink. And those properties will be the very life of God. But spiritually speaking, we can drink from that well or from that river right now. All we have to do is to come to Christ and ask him to fill us with his spirit and we will be drinking of that living water of Jesus Christ. Now, if that's the case, then why am I so thirsty? I mean, you ever feel spiritually thirsty? Do you ever feel dry? Do you almost feel dead inside at some time? I mean, you almost feel like you got to somehow drum up your spirituality? Well, the reason is, is that we thirst. And why do we thirst? Well, James says we have not because we ask not. And the reason that we don't ask, we don't take the time. I think there's a couple of reasons we don't take the time to ask. One is we're too busy drinking from the cisterns of this world. We're too busy trying to satisfy ourselves with the things of this world instead of with the water of life. The other reason is I don't think we have enough faith to really believe what Jesus says there when he says, 
and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. I just don't believe we really have the faith to believe that. But when we get into eternity, faith and sight are going to meet. And you're going to be able to see that river, and you're going to be able to drink of that river, and you're going to get, get all of it you want. All of the life of God you want. How much of the life of God? I want all of the life of God I can possibly have. Paul prayed in the, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, he prayed that we could be filled with all the glory of God, with all the spirit of God. So that's a possibility for us now if we'll just take the time and believe and come to the Lord. But we, hey, we're going to eat in eternity too. Uh, and it's not going to be boudin and crawfish for you Cajun. So, I mean, some of you are not going to want to go, I guess. But, uh, no, everybody's going to want to be there. But, but look at verse number 2. Listen to what he says. In the middle of the, its street, and remember that street is made of gold, and on either side of the river was a tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. You know, when they, they say that uh, the greatest, one of the greatest sights in Europe is the Seine River that runs through the middle of the city of Paris. And uh, we, when we were in Paris a few months back, uh, uh, we, we got to see that river. And it's, it, it, most of the sights that you want to see in Paris run along that river. I mean, the Eiffel Tower is there, the Louvre is there, the Cathedral of Notre Dame is there. And so... So uh, it's, it's certainly a central part of the city. Uh, and, and it actually runs through the city. And it almost as if it runs through the middle of a street. Because on the, you have what you call the, the, on the south side you have of the, of the Seine River, you have uh, what's called the left bank. And on the north side of the Seine River, you have what's called the right bank. And along those banks, there are trees planted in rows. It's just, and in the spring when those trees bloom, and you've got the Eiffel Tower, and you've got all of Notre Dame, and all of these supposedly beautiful sites, I mean, it, it's supposedly something to see. When we were there, we were there in the spring, but it was, the high, I think, uh, was 28 on both days we were there, so there weren't any trees blooming. All we saw were dead trees. But, uh, uh, they say it's a beautiful sight, but that's nothing. That is nothing compared to what we're going to see in eternity. Because when we get to eternity and in the New Jerusalem, what we're going to see, we're going to see this golden street, and in the middle of this golden street, will be this river of life will be running through the middle of this golden street. And on each side, he tells us here that there will be trees planted, one bearing uh, uh, bear each bearing a fruit each month. And so there'll be different types of fruit. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a different fruit uh, for, on each tree for every month in eternity. Now that tells us the fact that it says that for every, it, that it says here that, uh, that it will yield its fruit every month tells us that we will have a calendar in eternity because it will be heaven on earth. And so we will be counting time in eternity and there will be a fruit for, for uh, every month. Uh, and we'll eat from that fruit, and that fruit will give us life. And all of this is, 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 is symbolic, but it also will be literal when we get to the new heaven. And also, you have these leaves here. The leaves on the tree are for, for the healing. Now, I don't think we'll have to eat the leaves, 
But I think what we have here is a picture because these leaves will always stay green. You look at a tree now, a tree goes through a cycle, doesn't it? In spring, it gets, it, you have these beautiful, I mean, it's so pretty around Louisiana during the spring when all of these trees bloom with those fresh, new, green leaves. But then this summer and this heat wears on them, just like kind of life wears on us. And, and by the time uh, the fall comes, the leaves, the leaves begin to fall, and then comes winter, and, and, you, and the trees are dead. And that's sort of a picture of life. But in heaven, the trees are going to stay green forever. And so it's going to always be a reminder to us that, hey, our life is forever on this earth. We're going to live forever. And everything is new on, in heaven. Everything will always be new. Things get old on earth. I mean, I get tired of things on earth. I get tired of this worldly system. I get tired of my own life sometimes. I get tired of my own body sometimes. But in heaven, everything's going to be new, and those leaves are going to speak of that. All right, now let's read uh, the next couple of verses there. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. I mean, God's not going to be where there's a curse. And so the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, so there will be no curse. And his servants shall serve him. And, and I love this part right here. And they shall see his face. And his name, the name Jesus, will be tattooed across your forehead. Now, I don't think it'll be literally tattooed across your forehead, but it'll be tattooed spiritually across your forehead. And why will it be tattooed across your forehead? Because you belong to him. Amen. You truly belong to him. You're going to be his child, and you're going to be his child forever and ever and ever. Now, before the fall, Adam and Eve sort of had it like that. I mean, they walked with God. They saw the face of God. They saw, I believe, no doubt, they saw the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ every day. They walked and talked with him. They ate of the tree of life, didn't they? And they served the Lord, and things were going great. And all they had to do was believe the Lord and keep serving the Lord and they would have lived in paradise forever. But what did they do? They listened to Satan, and they fell, and they sinned, and the earth was cursed, and they didn't see the face of the Lord any longer. They saw him there shortly after they fell, but after that, they didn't see him anymore. And death entered the world. But thank God that from the very beginning, God had a plan for us, that he had an eternal plan to redeem mankind, a plan that was laid before the foundation of the world to redeem us through Jesus Christ. And so here in, this, in these verses, when we get this picture of eternity, paradise has been restored, and there is no more curse. And sin's been eradicated from the earth, and so the Lamb and God dwell with us in the midst of his people forever, and we see his face, and we do what servants do, what Adam and Eve should have done throughout eternity. We serve God, not as slaves. Hey, what's that, Mark? We got the name of Jesus on us. We serve God as the ch children of God forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, then verse number five, there shall be no more night there. We saw last week, you look at those last few verses of chapter 21. Hey, there is no need for any light because the God Almighty and the Lamb will be the light of this world and the light of this universe. And so uh, we saw last week that there will be no more darkness. There will be no more darkness physically, and there will be no more darkness spiritually. And so, uh, because God is going to light up eternity. And look at the last part of the verse. And we shall reign forever and ever and ever. There shall be no light there. 
They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. You ever think about that? You're going to reign, if you're a born-again believer, you're going to reign with Christ forever and ever. How are you going to reign with him? Where are you going to reign with him? You ever thought about that? Hey, I, you might be mayor of Homa. Who knows? You might be mayor of Lafayette. Yeah, I, I remember Chuck Smith used to say he wants to rule Hawaii. You know, that was his favorite spot. I don't blame him. But I've got to believe that, hey, there, God has greater things in store for us than just ruling Hawaii. There was a, there was a segment on CBS News, uh, actually NBC News, a, a couple of weeks ago where they said that scientists believe that there are at least eight point, I don't know where they come up with these exact numbers, but there are at least 8.8 billion planets in the Milky Way galaxy alone that are habitable that they believe people could live on. 8.8 billion. Now, there are billions and billions and billions of galaxies. Now, when eternity begins, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and that new heaven, that universe, is going to be greater than the one that we had before, much greater. And so if there's 8.8 billion planets in our galaxy alone, and I don't know if that's accurate or not, but let's say there is, Think of how many there are going to be. I, I think almost every place in the universe will be habitable when Jesus Christ renews the universe. So there's going to be plenty of places. You might have your own planet to rule. And I don't want to sound like a Mormon here. You're, you're not going to be a god. You will never be God. You're going to serve God who will be God over that planet you might rule. You might be president of the universe. I mean, I don't know. You might be looking at the president of the New Milky Way sitting right next to you right now, or the mayor of Homa. You know, I think most of us, no, no. Who knows where God's going to put us? But it, it's it's more exciting than we can possibly imagine. And don't worry about. I mean, where are we going to? Where's he going to put us all? I mean, where are we going to serve? There's going to be, you know, hopefully billions of Christians there. Where are they all going to serve if they're going to rule and reign with Christ? Well, there'll be plenty of places to serve. Now, one of the things we can be sure of that all of this is coming pretty soon. It's coming very soon. Look at verse number 6. He says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. In other words, what he's saying right there, this angel that's speaking to John, he says that everything that's been given to you to write down all of these prophecies in the book of Revelation are faithful and they are true. In other words, they're going to they're be fulfilled exactly as they've been given to you. Now, I believe that. And let me tell you why I believe that. Because all of the other prophecies that have already been fulfilled have been fulfilled exactly as they were spoken in the Word of God. All of those prophecies about Jesus Christ, and there are some amazing prophecies. All of those prophecies about His first coming have been fulfilled fulfilled exactly as they were written. You go back and you read Psalm 22 and you get a picture there of Jesus Christ, his thoughts that he's having on that cross, people gambling for his garments. That's exactly, that was fulfilled exactly as it was prophesied in Psalm 22. You look at Daniel's prophecy in, in I believe in chapter 9 of Daniel where he prophesies the very day 
that Jesus Christ would come into Jerusalem. And, and, and he came in exactly on that day. And, and, and you look at Isaiah chapter 53 and the description of the suffering Messiah, and it was fulfilled exactly as, as, as it was written down in the book of Isaiah. And so I believe everything that's said in the book of Revelation is the, is, is the same way these words are faithful and true. And, hey, you're privileged people. We're very privileged people because look at what he says next. He says, and the Lord God of the holy prophets, the one who spoke through these prophets, the one who had these prophets write down these words, has sent his angel to show not just you, John, but to show his servants the things that must take place shortly. Hey, do you feel privileged? Well, let me tell you what, you should. This book was written to you. I mean, you're his servants, right? So it's written to his servants. And so through this book of Revelation, we have great mysteries about the future that are revealed specifically to us. Now, you know, I have people that come up to me all the time, not in this group, but I've had, you know, in my contact with other Christians. I mean, I really don't like the book of Revelation. I really don't want to read the book of Revelation. It doesn't make any sense to me. That makes me wonder about their faith because because God wouldn't give us something that we couldn't understand. And God has given this book to his servants to be understood. Now, are we going to understand every detail of Revelation? No, nobody understands every detail of Revelation. Nobody understands every detail of, of any prophecy that was written. I mean, you go back to Psalms 22, for example. You can look at all those things that Jesus describes in Psalm 22 about his experience, his future experience on the cross. It was a future experience that was written in Psalm 22. And you look at all of those things, and they really don't make sense. They don't make sense. You know that they're, you get a little bit of an idea what the cross was going to be like, but they don't make sense until you see that prophecy fulfilled over in the Gospels. And that's the same thing that's true with Revelation. There's most of this we can make sense of, some of it will not make total sense. Every detail won't make sense until all of these prophecies have been fulfilled. But these prophecies were given to you and I. And that's why there's a blessing in this book, a big blessing in this book. All right, then uh, let's see, which verse did we leave off with? Did I skip a verse? Okay, verse number seven. Yeah, okay. That's, uh, Jesus jumps in now. He interjects. The angel is speaking to John. Some people believe that this angel who's speaking to John is Jesus. I don't think so. But I just believe that G Jesus uh, interrupts the conversation here. And listen to what he says. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, I didn't finish verse 6. Let me go back and finish that because it would make more sense here. He says, he says, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must take place shortly. In other words, these things are going to happen, and the time for them to happen is very, very near. Uh, and, and it could happen at any time. And so Jesus comes forth at this point. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. All right, now, when he says I can co I'm coming quickly, what does he mean by that? I mean, John, that was 2,000 years ago when he spoke these words to John. 
What he means by that is that I could come at any time. Jesus, when he spoke these words, could have come at any time after that. Uh, uh, We we see the phrase elsewhere where it's spoken of the fact that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. Now, he won't come as a thief comes to steal things, but he will come as a thief comes in the night. Nobody plans for a thief to come, do they? A thief comes when you least expect it. Jesus is going to come when we least expect it. He could come at any moment. Uh, At any moment, you and I could be raptured out of here. At any moment, you and I could die, and we could be in the very presence of the Lord. And so he says, he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. So the reason he's saying that, he's, he's exhorting us to be ready, to watch. And he says here, blessed, blessed. Oh, how happy. You want a blessing? Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. What does he mean, keeps the words of this prophecy of this book? He means keeps those words. He's talking about entrusts those words, treasures those words, keeps those words close to his heart. If you keep the words of this prophecy close to your heart, then you're going to watch and you're going to be ready and you're going to be blessed. Whether he comes in this life, I mean, whether we're raptured in this life or we die and go to be with the Lord, if we keep this prophecy close to us, it's going to change our lives and we're going to to, uh, be blessed by the Lord. Then verse number 8 and 9. Let's read those. He says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. Now, this is interesting right here. I'm getting a picture here so far of this angel. And I'm thinking of this big angel with big wings. And he's got to be something fantastic because John sees him and listens to him. And he falls down to worship him. And, And so to John, he looks like a god. But now look at the last part of verse number nine. He says, See that you do not do that. Now, this is really interesting. He says, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets. Now, the word angel means it can mean an angelic being. We can think of it that way. But it also simply means a messenger. So in this case, he's not an angelic being. He is a messenger. He says, I'm just like you. I'm a human being. For I I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets. So he's a prophet. Now, it could be Moses. It could be Elijah. It could be Isaiah, Jeremiah. Can't be Lamentations. He's not a prophet. Jeremiah wrote that. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It could be any one of those guys or some other prophet. People have, gift of, have the gift of prophecy now, so it could be one of them. But whatever this prophet, whoever he is, he is in his glorified state, and he looks just like you're going to look in your glorified body. And he looks so magnificent that John falls down to worship him. And so uh, he sets him straight. And listen, listen to what he says. He says, don't worship me. He says, I'm of the prophets of those who keep the words of this book. I treasure this book too. And, and you should treasure this book, but here's the main thing. Listen to what he said. Don't worship me. Worship God. And so, so 
He's making a point there. I mean, sometimes we get caught up, even in the study of Revelation, on these supernatural characters and events, and we miss the main thing. I mean, I believe in prophecy study, there's way too much emphasis placed on the angels, on the Antichrist, on the false prophet, on the battle of Armageddon, on the new heavens and the new earth. And if you want to be blessed by this book, you better keep sight of the main theme, and that's eternity's greatest reward, and I'll tell you who that is. That is the glorified Jesus Christ. Dr. J. Elder once said, he put it like this, and I agree with this 100%, in reference to Bible study. This is what he said, and Revelation certainly would apply here. But he said that in almost every case, the beginning of a new blessing for a Christian is a new revelation of the character of God in Jesus Christ. You want a blessing. The way you find a blessing is by finding Jesus Christ in the scriptures, whether that's Old Testament or whether that's New Testament. Getting a new view, learning more about the character of God as he manifests himself in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say more beautiful, more wonderful, and more precious. When you read scriptures, that should be your goal, to make Jesus more beautiful to you, more wonderful to you, and more precious to you. And that's the main reason God has given us the book of Revelation, not to learn about the Antichrist, but to learn about Jesus Christ. The, word, the Revelation is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the Greek title, uh, the, the, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, so that we can learn, get a fresh, every time we read this book, I believe we can get a fresh revelation of the character of God in Jesus Christ. All right, now look at verse number 10. He says, and he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Man, that's exciting to me. He tells John, don't seal up this book, for the time is at hand. In other words, it's close to your hand. It could happen just like that. It could happen today. Uh, that's different from what Daniel was told when he gave his great prophecies about the end times. Do you remember what he was told? He was told by the angel to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. In other words, there's a lot of things, Daniel, that are going to have to happen before these prophecies are going to be fulfilled. And so uh, you need to just seal it because it's not going to happen in your lifetime and it's not going to happen anytime soon. But that's not the case for the book of Revelation. The time is at hand. And, and, and when Jesus ascended to heaven, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the latter days begin. And Jesus can return and will return sometimes in the last days. And those last days begin when he ascended to heaven. So he could have been raptured at any point after his ascension to heaven. I mean, he could have raptured us, I'm sorry, at any point after his ascension to heaven. That's exactly what Paul told his believers in his day. Listen to what he says. He says, he says, he told them that our deliverance is much nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. It's at hand. It could happen at any time. Well, if Paul could say that 2,000 years ago, how much closer are we are 
are we to the coming of Jesus Christ right now? Are we to the rapture? And so the message here is the same message that uh, the, the angel gave John, and that's to be to watch and be ready because the Lord could come at any time. Listen, and, and then there's a warning. Listen to the warning in verse number 11. And this, this is really important. I mean, I, 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 I think a lot of people have deceived themselves into believing that heaven is just an extension of the life that they're living now. Heaven is not an extension of the life that most people are living now. In fact, if you, your life will be extended the way you're living it now. But if you're not living it for the Lord now, you won't be living it for the Lord in eternity. And that's the message of this warning right here. Listen to what he says. He says in verse number 11, he says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is, no, we really don't want him to do that. We, hopefully, hopefully somebody who's unjust will get justified in the Lord. He is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. Now, I say amen to that. And, and he who is holy, let him be holy still. See, what the angel is saying here to John is that when we die, or the Lord comes to get us at the rapture, our eternal fate at that point is set. It's set forever. I mean, when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, everybody's fate who's living on this earth at that time will be set. They will either be heading for heaven or they will be heading for hell. When you die, your fate is set. It's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. And then your fate is set. And so he who is living unjust, who dies living unjust, will continue living unjust throughout eternity. I actually believe that they will become more unjust. I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. To me, that's the best book he wrote, the most interesting book that he wrote. And in that book, he has this picture, this allegory of heaven and hell. And the people in hell who are unjust, only get worse and worse. Even when they're given the opportunity to see heaven and to get better, they don't want heaven. Their fate is set. Their, their soul is set. And they, they want to live unjustly. They want to live selfishly. And so their fate is set, and so they're going to live forever and ever as, as unjust. And those who live filthy lives are going to continue to live filthy lives. Now, those who are righteous. Now, how many of you in this room are righteous? No, no, no. How many of you in this room are righteous? I'm gonna, that's a trick question. How many of you in this room are righteous? How many of you in this room are born again? Now, when I say how many of you in this room are righteous, raise your hand. Because you have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, now that should produce some type of righteousness in our lives. We should be living righteously now. We've been made righteous, and we're being sanctified. We're being made holy, 
And so there's holiness in our life. Now, we're not totally holy. And I know why some of you didn't raise your hand. You're not living a perfectly righteous life, and you won't because you're living in a fallen, a cursed body. You're living in a sinful body with a sin nature and the flesh warth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and you're going to fight that battle till you die. I'm going to fight that battle till you die. Those people who tell you that they've been perfected and they're living perfectly now, I really question that. I want to know, they got a different salvation than I got because I'm not perfect. I am, I've been made perfect, and I'm going to be perfect. But here's the thing. If I don't care about righteousness now, if there's no hunger and thirst for righteousness now, then I'm not going to live righteously in heaven. If I don't hunger and thirst for, for holiness now, then I'm not going to be holy in heaven because I haven't been born again. If you've been born again, you hunger for righteousness. If you've been born again, you thirst for, for holiness. And you want those things. And because you want those things and you've been, you've been made holy and you've been uh, made righteous by the blood of the Lamb, then you will live righteously uh, throughout eternity. So really, what he's saying right here, he, what he's saying right here, those who want nothing to do with God now are going to want nothing to do with God in eternity. I mean, if, if you die not wanting anything to do with God, you're not going to want anything to do with God in eternity. Those who seek his face now will see his face in eternity. I mean, those who hate him now will hate him in eternity. They'll hate him even worse in eternity. Now, they're going to bow their knee before the Lord. But when they're cast into hell, you talk about hating God, they're going to hate God more than they've ever hated God. But those of us who love God now will love him even more in eternity. Those who serve themselves now will be fodder for the fires of hell. Those who serve him now will serve him in eternity in greater ways. So, this statement by this angel should serve as a warning to all of us who call ourselves Christians. I mean, if we have no desire to be righteous now, we will never be given the righteousness of holiness of God. If we're living like the devil now, we're going to live with the devil throughout eternity. If we have no desire to seek the face of God now, we won't see the face of God until we get to the great white throne judgment, and that'll be the only time we see his face. And if we have no desire to serve God now, then we won't have the great privilege of ruling and reigning with God throughout eternity. So just to sum all of that up, what he's saying right here is how we're living now is a great indicator of how we're going to live throughout eternity. And I know people who call themselves Christians now, but they don't seek his face now. They don't really hunger for righteousness now. And, and I think there's a warning there. We should be, when we were born again, and now everybody in here has raised their hand, so, I mean, you had to because you didn't want to be the only one not raise your hand. But, but uh, 
when we were born again, we received the eternal life of God then. We, we were given access to the river of life, to those trees of life when we were born again. And so our life now should be a taste of what it's going to be in heaven. And if it's no indicator that there's no hunger for righteousness, that there's no desire to serve God, that there's no desire to see God's face, then very well, it very well might be that we're not born again. And I don't say that. I don't ever want to try to get people question their salvation because salvation is by grace. And golly, we get beat up so much. We beat ourselves up because it is so hard trying to live up to God's standard. In fact, you've got to quit trying. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives through me. And so we've got to let Christ do that. But there's got to be a desire for that that righteousness. There's got to be a hunger for that that holiness. And if if there's not, then there's a problem. If we have have no desire to serve God in our lives, there's a problem there. And, And I'm not talking so much about serving him here in this church. I'm talking about giving him your life. If we have no desire to... To, to submit to God now, we're not going to want to submit to him in eternity. And so there's a warning there. But let's get past the warning and look at the last verse we're going to look at, and that's verse number 12. And he says, and behold, and Jesus interrupts again now. He says, and behold, I am coming quickly, quickly. And my reward is with me to give to every person, watch this, according to his work. Now, I noticed two things there. My reward is not rewards, it's singular. And my work is not works, it's singular. You catch that? And I think there's a message there. I mean, listen to Jesus, what he's saying here. He's telling us he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And he says, my reward, not rewards, my reward is with me. I mean, my greatest reward is with me. You catching it? See, I, I think most people believe that the greatest reward in, rewards in heaven, and they would say rewards, amounts to where we serve God, our place in service. And it's true that how we serve God now will determine to some degree how we serve God in eternity. That's what we saw in verse number 11. Uh, Others believe that the greatest rewards in heaven amount to our eternal surroundings. I mean, there's going to be some beautiful things there. We've looked at these things, the mansions in glory, the heavenly Jerusalem, the streets of gold, those walls of diamonds. I mean, the river of life, the pearly gates. I mean, the the foundations of all these beautiful multicolored stones. It's going to be a gorgeous place to be. And some people see that as the greatest reward of heaven. And then uh, maybe those who are more spiritual, they see the greatest reward of heaven, or those who are older, they see the greatest reward of heaven as being those glorified bodies, those new bodies that don't age anymore, those new bodies that, that uh, doesn't ache, you know, they don't ache anymore with pain, a, a body that doesn't lust for things they don't need, a body that, that, uh, that has a mind that doesn't have, ever have an evil thought. Can you imagine that? Won't that be wonderful? A a body that has a heart that is always patient and always kind and always loving. Don't don't you want to be like that? 
And, and so the glorified body, hey, that is a great reward. But that's not the body he's talking about. I mean, that's not the reward he's talking about here either. I, I, uh, some people believe that the greatest reward of heaven will be being reunited with those relatives, family members that have gone on to be with the Lord. I mean, that will be a great reward. I lost my mom and dad last year, and I, I look... I mean, I'm not in a hurry, but I look forward to the day when I do see my mom and dad again. I mean, I mean I, that's exciting to me. I know my mom and dad are in heaven, and I mean, I know I'm going to see them in, in eternity. And, 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 and so I think that's a great reward. Uh, but all of those things pale in comparison to the greatest reward of eternity the one that Jesus is speaking of here. Listen to what he says. He says, my reward is with me. Me. You know what I think Jesus is saying right there? I think he's saying the same thing that he was said to Abraham when he said to him in Genesis chapter 15, when he says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Not just your great reward, your exceedingly great reward. Now, there's going to be a lot of great rewards in heaven. But there's going to be one reward that exceeds all others. And that is the great privilege, the great joy, the great peace of seeing the face of our God and our Savior. And looking at his body and seeing those nail-scarred hands and those nail-scarred feet and knowing that he redeemed us so that we can live in his glorious presence forever and ever and ever and ever. So what's the greatest reward in heaven? The greatest reward in heaven is Jesus Christ. So let me ask this question as we close. What's our greatest work? If the greatest reward is Jesus Christ, what's our greatest work now? Is to, you know what our greatest work now? Is to make him our greatest reward. That's our greatest work now. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and the king. Seek me and all these other rewards will be added unto you. If you're seeking those other things, service, places of service, glorified bodies, streets of gold, all of that stuff, and that's first, change the order. You're seeking all that material, all those material blessings in life now, change the order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek the king, and he'll reward you with all these other things because you'll have the greatest reward of all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this the picture you've given us here in the book of Revelation and the, the great privilege we have of looking at this book and, Lord, by your spirit, understanding just what you mean here in these words. Lord, and I, I think, I know I'm guilty and I know a lot of us in this room are guilty of, of drinking from the cisterns of this world, Lord, and, and looking for rewards that, that, uh, that really aren't 
the great reward. Father, you are our exceedingly great reward. And I just ask today that we all change our focus, Lord. That we all come to you and drink of your living water. And Lord, we find, we'll find those blessings that we're looking for there. That great blessing of knowing you and knowing uh, eternal life and having that peace and joy that only you can give us. Lord, and then when we do seek you, we know that the other things come, and we thank you for those things too. But Lord, most of all, we thank you for who you are in Jesus Christ. That's our greatest blessing. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.